You're listening to the Legendarium Blue Team. Welcome. You have chosen wisely. Please go to patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show. I am the most amazing person. And this would have been hard for some people, but I had no problem with it. I also, all right, one of the reasons I hate John Carter. Welcome to the Legendarium. We are the Blue Team, and we are excited to be in studio. That's because it's been like 17 years since we've been together. <laughs> well, COVID makes it feel like 17 oh my gosh. years. Uh, we are here. We are the. I, I said we're the Blue Team. Ken, Megan, myself, we're um, all here. Who are you? May I request that during this episode, we all call each other by our full names, like they do in the book, because it's Deja Taurus, <laughs> Tars Tarkas, John Carter. Well, let's let's be fair. It's Tars Tarkas, son of blah, 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 blah. We, we don't know his full name. Sure. <laughs> it's true. But I still thought that, Thoris, that was a kind of annoying of a detail. Thousand, daughter of a thousand genetics. And yeah. I mean, I guess we're getting it from John Carter's point of view. But why is he calling everybody by their full name? I don't know. Anyway. I guess we're going to find out. Maybe we'll, we'll come up with some reasons. Right? He's a southern okay. gentleman. That's why. Well, that's for sure. Something's running through his blood. If you are new to the Legendarium and you've not, and, and people, obviously, there are probably people who are. Um, we welcome you. We're glad you're here. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna kind of jump in. Oh wait, housekeeping. Uh, you guys are supposed to remind me to do housekeeping. Uh-huh. Patreon, Discord, join us on our social media stuff. You, you were rolling. I mean, you uh, have one job. <laughs> I was Rick rolling. Is what I was doing. Uh, we would love to have. We love to have our our um, our fans. Fans. That sounds weird, but they kind of are. Uh, love to have our, our community join with us on Discord and, and through the Twitter and through all of those other accesses. So come and join us. Have some fun. You know um, how old well, you sound saying the Twitter? I know, but I kind of like it because I had a birthday and I got a little more gray in my hair and it's just kind of the way <laughs> things go. Well, we're on YouTube now also. I oh, know. Yeah. And that makes me a little uncomfortable sometimes. Hey, Craig has been working really hard on those videos. I we know. We should send people I there know. to watch them. And the Todd stash is undefeated. Yeah. <laughs> Well, True that. my wife is not really convinced of that, but hopefully that. it will probably doesn't rank as a, as a weapon that John Carter would be able to use on Mars, but maybe pretty close. Oh, he'd find right. a way. <laughs> he he certainly would find a way. He'd That's find a, a way. All right. Well, we have, we are discussing a princess of Mars. We've all read it. Yes. Yep. Ken has a recap. Yes. But before we do the recap, I just have to ask one question. <laughs> Did you like the book? Well, let me answer your question with a question. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Have you ever found yourself running from Indians only to stumble into a dark cavern and let a peyote-induced hallucination transport you, transport you butt-a-naked to Mars, where you use your increased bone density and musculature and your general southern chivalry and charm to become a superhero conqueror with a cool alien dog and a smoking hot Martian babe? One time. That did happen once. All right. <laughs> And if you answered yes, Megan, <laughs> then you just may be John Carter, possibly immortal gentleman veteran of the Virginia Confederate Army, the first Superman of literature and uncle of Edgar Rice Burroughs, probably, who's also the author of A Princess of Mars, the first of his 11 books in the Barsoom series. Yeah, we'll see how many of those we get to. Megan, Megan's ready for all of them, I think. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's the start of an incredible journey for the smooth-talking Carter who finds himself captured by a savage band of four-armed lizard men. He uses his smarts and his Earth-accustomed muscles to break himself and Dejah Thoris, the hot, human-looking daughter of a Martian king, out of captivity before they can become slaves of that evil Thark leader, Tal Hajus. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Long story short, <laughs> Carter fights bad guys and giant apes, impresses everybody with his ability to jump. I really wanted to add a joke in there about his impressive sack, but I refrained. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And he returns Dejah Thoris to her people, getting himself involved in Martian politics in the process. It all gets done using every sci-fi fantasy trope available. Of course, they weren't really tropes at that time because the notorious ERB literally helped create the genre. Mm -hmm. So, you know, no questions, no predictions. The story's just 100 years old. Let's discuss. That's it. That's the recap. I, th I, th I think that would have helped me enjoy it more if I had actually... Because I my approach is usually just to jump into things with no context because I don't like spoilers. But I think it would have really helped me this time to... Knowing that no, it was over 100 years old. When the book was written, like yeah. to actually look up the date. I'm like, oh, 1912. That's yeah. okay. Trying to put it in context. Who would be reading this? Oh, they would, they would like that the romance is two-dimensional. They would like, you know. So uh, <laughs> it, it would have helped me to enjoy it more, like kind would, of having all of that in mind. Because as it was, like I was absolute... looking at it as a cynical woman from 2021. <laughs> they would like the absolute objectification of females as... Something to be one, not something, not not a character to actually drive the plot forward. Yeah, I think it would have bugged them less. <laughs> Especially, well, because I'm used to I'm used to Brandon Sanderson's women who yeah. definitely like they're within their gender norms, culture norms, but they have a certain amount of power and they each have their own personality. Yeah, and none of these women really got to. Nope, nope, they don't. But we'll talk yeah. about why. Well, one did. But she has four arms and giant tusks coming out of her face. Well, and she was kind of a doormat. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, kind of. Um, well, everybody reasons, was. One of to John the reasons Carter. I don't like John Carter. <laughs> I literally have. I have a heading. Things I hate about John Carter. Wow. So there you go. Look at that type. Holy we can so, talk about yeah. that later. So no, wait a minute. Ken, it sounds like you enjoyed the book. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed the book. I'm not going to say it's you know high fantasy Earth shattering my life is now changed for reading it you know literature but i enjoyed it just fine it was like oh hey, this is an interesting something story. fun he's like it's not it was deep fun. but it's fun it's it a was fun, fun escape and i'm like yes actually that was true there is probably one one level three moment in this whole book maybe <laughs> only barely do you want to talk about it now or you want and, to save it and zero tears there were zero tears for me when i was reading this book just one. I know. I know. I know. Craig's over now, there. There might be shocked. There might be some tears while we're talking about it, but they might be tears of joy and laughter. Uh, there might yeah. be one or two tears along the way, but but I got to tell you, this is I no tears at all. Yeah. No tears at all for this book. Wow. Yeah, I know. I know. Like, like I said, it's a romp. This is this is yeah. total popcorn. This is this is cotton candy for the mind. I think. Uh, I liked it. I liked okay, it. Okay, good. It's fine. Was it the first time you all had read it? Oh no. Oh. It's the first time I had read it. Okay. So I read, I've read seven of the 11. <laughs> oh, okay. So, and I think part of the reason that I started reading them was because I got them for a dollar on Kindle. Me too. Yeah. And so, and that was when I had, I had like three books on my Kindle. I had, I think, um, the complete, the complete writings of Martin Luther King and John Carter, Warlord of Mars. And I think there, I think somebody had given me. Uh, Pride and Prejudice. No offense to Pride and Prejudice, but I was sitting there saying, what do I want to read at my lunchtime? 
uh, not the heavy philosophical stuff and not Pride and Prejudice. I think I'll read John Carter and I wrote like, seven, seven of the books. I love how varied that, that selection is. <laughs> I know that's a diverse <laughs> selection. All right. I've got more on my Kindle now, but back then it was like, well, okay, <laughs> let's read this one. <laughs> got to start your library somewhere. Kindle's new back in it was the Stone Ages. It was, was a while. It was, it was 2012 yeah. when I first got it. And so, yeah. In fact, I think I read it on a Kindle. It was Anyway, we'll get to that later. So... We kind of like the book. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Ken, well, liked it. Ken liked it that, more than I, Megan. I, I, I went looking for things to like about it later because I, like I said, I went to go put it in context and I'm like, it's not really a terrible book. I'm just looking through it through this lens of yeah. something that is not what he was intending, which is unfair. Yeah. Well, and it's it's very obvious that it is a product of its time. Yeah. Yes. Uh, in fact, I, I went back and I wanted to see just exactly when the Victorian era ended. Okay. And the Victoria era ended about 11 years before this book was published. Okay. So Edgar Rice Burroughs, as he's doing, as he's writing this book, is solidly still within the Victorian era of thinking about things. Technically, it was called the Edwardian era at that point <laughs> in time. Right. However, I'm not sure that the Edwardian era and the Victorian era were all that different. Um, and so the the ideas about chivalry and about how men and women should be conducting themselves, all of these different kinds of things. I actually had a moment where uh, when I'm reading it and I'm listening to John Carter's dialogue or, or diatribe in his head mm-hmm. and I'm finding myself remembering Mark Twain's uh, how to introduce yourself to a woman that you do not know, but you need to save her from a burning building, you know, greetings woman that I do not know, you know, and I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm going, yeah, well, this, this is, is it. This is kind of how this goes. So, well, it's interesting though, thinking about that time period, because, um, you know, you're talking about the Eduard- Edwardian era, era where it was originally published in phases like in a newspaper kind of Mm -hmm. as a serial thing and then it wasn't published in novel form until i want to say 1919 ish which would have been right after the war yeah the great war and so like i I think a lot of people would have been in sort of a heroics mindset where they want to celebrate their heroes and the men who didn't come home and these people who worked so hard and And there was a lot of romance in that area yeah escapist literature yeah something like that I, I think that's a lot of it. And I going into it, I, I went into this as in uh, uh, with the same perspective that I kind of look at hieroglyphics versus modern art, you know, and okay. in the this is where all of what I appreciate now started. Yeah. So I, I looked at it with that kind of eye. I didn't go into yeah. it expecting Sandersonian depth or, you know, the depth of that Brent Weeks or some of the modern authors bring to their epic fantasy novels. I went into it going how did this all start? And and it really gives us a kind of simplified version of what science fiction and fantasy were in the sense that it, it doesn't Edgar Rice Burroughs was not to my interpretation was not interested in throwing deep philosophical uh, discussion and uh, something to think about into his stories. Yeah. He was interested in, taking these scientific discoveries that were just being made. I mean, it's the turn of the century in the late 19th century. They, they found these gorges on Mars, uh, on Mars, for example, they, they started to find these, these uh, crevices and everything and started to hypothesize. Maybe there was water there, or maybe there is life or possibly there could be life, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. which is something that now somebody like Burroughs takes and goes, 
we could turn this into a world. And he does. He mines Mars into this, this great setting for fantasy, but it's just for fun, fantastical stories that I kind of are kind of escapist, like yeah. we we're talking about. And, just kind of a product of letting imagination run wild. And he really lays the groundwork. This is the foundation for what we've come to expect from science fiction and fantasy today. I, I wouldn't necessarily say that this is a science fiction, though. Like, it's definitely, I, I could call it a space fantasy, but there isn't really a lot of science going on in this. He kind of, he falls asleep in a cave with creepy mist and he wakes up on Mars and he's like, I know, yes. I knew I was on Mars. Like, there was no doubt about it. And I'm like, really? There were no doubts? Like, right. there's nowhere else you could have been? It's kind of, but it's, it's kind like of he magically the, appears on Mars. Yeah, he doesn't, no explanation and no yeah. explanation really necessary. You kind of just, as the reader go, oh, okay, well, yeah. I guess this is happening, you know. And you accept it. Yeah, but there, the, there isn't a lot of sciencey things. No, but at the same time, I think then, I think the definition or the interpretation of science fiction has changed a little bit. Yeah. Right now, I mean, we have talked about it often that, the purpose of science fiction is for the science to drive the fiction. Yep. Yes. That right? is what I'm saying. That if we're going what, based on that. That is what we're at. But a hundred years ago, I think science fiction, I mean, this is, this is barely a decade after flight has been established or yeah. has been achieved. You know, it's true. the, the knowledge then the, uh, idea of science fiction is let's build a story in outer space. Well, there's a couple of things about the this, end, you know, there's, there's a couple of things about it that, that kind of lend itself to the place where we say, well, they're exploring, scientific advances of what they could be if a more advanced civilization took a hold of them. The idea of the metals being extremely lightweight and yet being able to be propelled by these forces, uh, the ninth ray, yeah. the idea that somehow light and sound can manipulate things. While these sound a lot of times like magic, they also are some of the same kinds of things that people are starting to deal with and use as maybe not tropes, but certainly as tools of the okay. science fiction craft, the the idea that uh, we have a different race of people and how that they're they're bipedal for locomotion, they stand on two feet, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. and yet they lay eggs for their for their children. Uh, yeah. This is certainly something that you know as we explore different species and those kinds of things. That's a part of it, sure. But when we when we come to things like okay let's let's talk about space travel let's talk about advanced communication let's talk about ray guns and all those kinds of things yeah very very light on uh, and are you know there's no armor everybody runs around naked oh wait we're going to come back to that in just a second <laughs> uh, megan's favorite part but they you know one of the things one of the things that john that uh, edgar rice burroughs time would have been dealing with is advances in firearms mm -hmm. and here he's yeah. talking about the martian weapons that can shoot a hundred miles, yeah. Before before the before the uh, projectile will dive down. I mean, okay, that was that was not even a thought at their time, and yet now we've got uh, weapons that will fire significant distances. Uh, I think that there are some things that, for his time, he could have defended it as I'm studying the advances of science. Well, but it, for us looking backwards, yeah. it's really. It's kind of like, well, okay, if you want to have a Western in space, that's great. But why don't you put some clothes on, partner? <laughs> yeah, there's like little things in there. Well, and they also have it. He has a discussion about how a lot of the communication with the Tarks, Tharks, 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 Tharks takes place telepathically, where he can hear their thoughts, but they can't hear his thoughts. We're going to come to that one too. Okay. When are we? Because you keep saying we're going to come back to well, things. Let's, come so to that we just, let's go to that one now. Let's, okay, let's go to that one. We right can go now. to that one now. We kind of beat the science fiction to a dead horse. You know, well, there, there's a, there, yeah, it, so. we, we beat it like a dead thoat. 
Sure. <laughs> like a dead thought. I'm trying not to use too many John Carter, John Carter quotes, but I'll use a few. You know, there really quick. There's an, there's another one right there is the, the fantastical terms, the names he comes up with for things are kind of rudimentary from what we've expected from science fiction yeah. and fantasy, I think. And that's fine. Cause I mean, we've established long ago that even Brandon Sanderson in his first books, you know, naming things was not his strong suit. That's something that has well, he come gets to make up whatever he wants. He didn't really. I mean, he had like Jules Verne and H.G. Wells and a couple of other people yeah, who went before him who made up these sort of things. And but that's otherwise, basically all he had. He was char he was laying the groundwork for what came after him in the in the difference between. Well, and, and maybe we'll get a chance to talk to this, but the, the difference really between H.G. Wells and Jules Verne and John or and Edgar Rice Burroughs is that Edgar Rice Burroughs was more concerned about the adventure and I think that's where if if we if we say that uh, and and Megan maybe to your point maybe this is more first the first space opera more than uh, an extension of of science fiction yeah. so that could be a that could be a really easy point to to defend. Um, what do you think about everybody being naked on Mars all the time? I honestly didn't think about it all that much. And that Until is. Oh, sorry. No, you, go ahead. Until? I was going to say, until I went looking, looking for some cover art to post on Discord, when I was like, hey, you guys, I have questions. And I looked at it, and I was like, oh, I can't post any of these. I'm a prude. <laughs> so what you get is a lot of text. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Um, I, <laughs> I, I went looking for John Carter artwork. And had to be very careful about making sure that I explained to my wife, no, this is not. This is, yeah, it's anyway. for research, It's research, honey. honey. It's for the podcast. I use that excuse all the time. The, the best part is I was reading John Carter comic books when I was 12 and 13. Um, so yeah, okay. for me, yeah, okay. We're, we, and we may not come back to that. You were prepared. Yeah. I, I mean, the one time I really thought about it was when he uh, meets up with the man who is in charge of the machine that keeps the atmosphere going and yes. all he is wearing yes. is this huge medallion and in my mind i was just like well i mean i guess if the atmosphere if you don't need clothes to keep you warm or like protect you from the elements because they talk about how there's no weather yeah then mm -hmm. i guess that's not such a big deal and no sunburn because they're all already red yeah yeah I, sure. That's a conversation stopper sure. if I ever heard you can, one. You can tell I've been thinking about these books for a long time, can't you? Maybe it's that the bit. sun is farther away, so you know the solar radiation can't burn you quite as easily. We're know. not going to talk about the thinness of the atmosphere at all. Um, one of the things, that, though, that I wanted to bring up with this is that this also is illustrative of its time. We've read oh, a lot sure. of books where some of the authors, some of the modern authors, have put tremendous emphasis on different parts of anatomy. And we, if we talk about, we, we talk about uh, some of the overt sexuality that shows up in some of the other books and about how women are uh, uh, oftentimes objectified in some of the other books that we've read by some of the other authors. Mm -hmm. John Carter makes everybody naked. Well, um, and it's kind of nice that he doesn't like go into descriptions of what every single person is wearing in every single moment. And, but that's the thing is that he then, he then just leaves it alone. Yeah. We never hear again about people being naked. He could easily, if he'd been some of the authors that we've read, the beginning of every chapter would have been some kind of a discussion about that. Well, but he, no, he just leaves it alone. He, he calls really? back to it once in a while, but it's not, he doesn't dwell on it at yeah. all. Other, other than they wear their necklaces and their metal that is instrumental in John Carter becoming, you know, the superhero of Mars because he keeps beating all of these Tharks. He is the original one punch man, isn't he? He is the original Superman. Okay, and that was... <laughs> 
like well, the then, one question that we got actually was about John Carter. What are your opinions on the influence of John Carter on superheroes like Superman? Yeah. Oh, oh I'm wasn't sorry. That, Kiptan, I think? Um, that was from the solution asked us this question. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Somebody um, said it. I, you know, I think it, uh, again, part of it's part of it's time, part of it's growth. Right. Uh, it's very easy to see John Carter as the predecessor for Superman in the 1930s when I think absolutely. I, I think he directly was. Uh, well, yeah, was he can jump really of, high and he's super strong. Yeah. And no matter what he does, uh, he seems to come out on top. It doesn't yeah. matter who he's fighting. He's always coming out on top. Well, and he ends up he's all about. Well. Uh, kind of by accident, actually, I think in this case, but he ends up really unifying the planet. Yeah. And, you know, he makes a point of, I want to learn your language. I want to be able to understand what's going on so I can protect myself and also Deja Taurus. And, you know, just uh, he. But he ends up in the end, like unifying these two divergent factions so that they can overthrow the real bad guys. Yeah. Because they're bad because they have Deja Taurus. Um, again, ugh. anyway, <laughs> but how do I really feel? Um, you didn't like Deja Thoris? Come on. I didn't mind her. I didn't like John Carter of Mars. Oh. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I want to think like Superman is obviously a lot more philanthropic than John Carter because he definitely yeah. had selfish reasons for a lot of the things that he did. Um, but with the powers and with the way that he was able to unify people, I could see that as a basis for Superman. Superman comes from a different planet. John mm -hmm. Carter comes from a different planet. Yep. Uh, Superman Sup wears clothes. John Carter does not. Uh, <laughs> Superman does not kill people. John Carter kills just about everything just, in his way. <laughs> yeah. Every so with impunity. There are there are some yeah. different. Although there are some tropes that uh, John Carter creates that science fiction and superheroes use later on. I'm thinking specifically of Adam Strange in the DC universe that has a Zeta beam that transports him back and forth oh, right. between. Um, I can't, uh, Rand, 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 I don't remember. So anyway, he transports him back and forth. He can spend like 10 days with his wife and then he gets transported back to earth and it happens over and over and over and over and over again. And so when I was, I remember when I was younger and I was reading John Carter, Warlord of Mars, I found that and I thought, oh, that sounds just like Adam Strange. So obviously these pieces that have been, that have been put in place by Edgar Rice Burroughs are things that follow flash gordon using swords as well as ray guns we've got the yep. same thing and we got the That's, same thing with yeah, john the, carter the dichotomy of the the technology how it's both hyper advanced and also primitive yeah uh, it's there and he jumps like a jedi can i just say though i thought it was really interesting that <laughs> but that's um, dune that's dune <laughs> that's true we we get a glimpse of you know nine years later this is how things are going and he still has those powers where he's able to jump really tall and be super strong and is able to last in the atmosphere a lot longer than everybody else can um, because he's from Earth. But I just thought, wouldn't he after a while get used to the strange gravity on that planet? And then that would like he wouldn't have those advantages necessarily. And so that's another way that he is like Superman and that yeah. Superman never adjusts. He just yeah. is. But at the same time, it's just, it's alluded to that he might be immortal anyway. So perhaps uh, at the beginning of the book, he can't remember. He has no... He, he can't remember his Wait, but is he immortal? Or... Because literally the whole thing 
is it's a letter that he wrote to his nephew after he died. Like his nephew's reading it because he's died. Or so, has he just withdrawn he from civilization? Yeah. One of the, uh, and this was one of those places where, and I don't know if the two of you ever saw the, the movie. Nope. Yeah. Uh, the, the movie was, the movie was panned by critics and it was scorned by a lot of fans. I think largely because they had Deja, Deja Thoris wearing clothes. Um, but, uh, it was sorry. a Disney movie. She had to, of course she had to. And the, the best part about that though, for me was that they, I know, I know Craig's going to roll his eyes, but she was still smoking hot. <laughs> they did a wonderful, yeah, I'm ignoring that. Up. They did a wonderful job of, <laughs> of trying to set up this idea that he found a way to take himself back to Mars. And he did yeah. that by locking himself in a mausoleum and, and yep. arranging a death of sorts so that he's no longer in the population on earth, but he's up in Mars. Well, that just makes sense because at the end of this book, he is back on earth. Like he is no longer on Mars and there are 10 other books. So he has to get back there somehow. And he does. And uh, it is so much fun to see him get back to Mars. I can't wait until we get to discuss all 11 of them, Megan. So have fun, you guys. So first person narration, the first person narration for this book is that a was that distracting in this book? No, because it was John Carter's chronicle. I mean, it was basically here. Yeah, I'm John Carter. I'm, I'm telling a story. It was kind of expected. I didn't think it was that. Well, I'm sorry. Well, I stopped paying attention for a minute. What are we talking about? <laughs> was the was the narration in this book? Was the first person narration in this book a little off putting? Yes, I figured you'd say that. Yeah, I thought it was because he really does refer to himself as. I am the most amazing person. And this would have been hard for some people, but I had no problem with it. I also, all right, one of the reasons I hate John Carter <laughs> was because, awesome. oh, he has this comment. Where does it go? Where he, oh, he doesn't bother to ask why things are the way they are. He goes, why they did not arrange to build their vaults and incubators closer to home has always been a mystery to me. And like many other Martian mysteries, it's unsolved and unsolvable by earthly reasoning and customs. So he didn't bother to ask questions. So it's unsolved and unsolvable. Like yes. I'm sure somebody knew the answer. It's like, there's, there's usually a reason for things and somebody knows, but Oh, I don't care. And I don't want to know. So uh, it, I think it, it is. It, it, it probably could be an imperialist thing. Craig is, Craig is throwing questions at us. He's, he's really a good peanut gallery today. He, he said, is that an imperialist thing? Maybe it very well Maybe. could be. I, I am. Wouldn't it wouldn't put it or it would not surprise me. That's where I'm going. Sir. It wouldn't surprise me to if John Carter had that attitude of, well, I can't figure it out. Therefore, doesn't matter. You know, I think it's weird, but there's nobody to talk to about it. So I guess we'll never know. Yeah. Again, part of its time, uh, probably not necessarily something that would have been dramatically offensive to the readership at the time. But right. as we look at it now through a lens of 100 years and more. Yeah. It's kind of one of those where we go. Uh, really? I would have liked yeah. to Did know a little bit more that? about that. Yeah. yeah, I felt like that with a lot of things he said. Here's another one. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So another one of my favorite ones. I very believe, no, is this the one? I verily believe that, I'm, oh, so this is after he has offended Deja Thoris. He doesn't know why, but she yeah. won't talk to him. And he's like, yeah, well, yeah, I'm not yeah. going to talk to her. I'm going to give her a space because I'm a good guy and that's the right thing to do. But he's like, I barely believe that a man's way with women is an inverse ratio to his prowess among men. The weakling and the saphead have often have great ability to charm the fair sex, while the fighting man who can face a thousand real dangers unafraid sits hiding in the shadows like some frightened child. I'm like, okay, so what you're saying is 
You'll face a thousand dangers and death and all of this destruction, but you can't talk to a girl. And you know that's what? somehow a girl's fault that she likes the guy that'll talk to her? For some reason, I saw that played out in high school over and over and over. Because they were willing to talk to the girl. Because uh, I was willing to talk to the girl and the yeah. football players were still getting the cute oh, ones. Oh, so it worked they in your favor. Me. Oh, that's nice. Sometimes, I did not see it going that way. Sometimes it worked in my favor. Not always. Well, that is true to life. Uh, you're, you're a good friend. <laughs> I was oh. I was the sap head in the weekly yeah, in high that school. Was, that was a good friend. Uh, Until I challenged uh, one of the football players to a duel <gasps> with swords. And then I had a lot of fun. But that's a different story. <laughs> I learned a lot from John Carter. Uh, were there any other cooler questions? every moment. <laughs> were there any other questions that came through? Or do we get to just keep talking? No, that was pretty much it. Well, Kipton had asked. We can always count on Kipton. Kipton. Well, we've already kind of talked about it, though. While she's looking that up, it read mostly, the story reads like a tall tale, like... Like yeah. somebody sitting around a campfire saying, let me tell you about the time where I went to Mars. And, then, <laughs> yeah. and it reads like that. It that so it didn't bother me that it was first person. And it didn't bother me that he embellished some of his accomplishments, as it were, you know. Sure. Because that's, I mean, we still do that. When we when we did the, uh, uh, when we talked about the, I don't remember, the Patrick Rothfuss books, whatever mm-hmm. his name was, I can't remember. Both. Thank you. Uh, that was a long, that was a common thing. Is is he embellishing or did he really do all these fantastic things? It's doesn't matter. It's a first person narrative. You've got to expect some embellishment. It's a memoir. It's not yeah. a history. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So. Yeah, no. Kipton said, how did it feel reading the style of such an old book? And could you tell it was old just from that? And also please talk about the clothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we- <laughs> Well, we've You're all welcome, Kip. I all think we established that one. That one. <laughs> the 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 uh, the interesting thing is when I, of course, when I was reading John Carter comic books, they couldn't be quite so literal about the fact that everybody was naked. Okay, but I I, I will say this: I'm, every now and again, as I was reading some of the things that he was saying he was doing, I was thinking to myself. And you were naked doing that? I'm not <laughs> yeah. sure. <laughs> That's yeah, true. It's true. So, but. I wonder if it was a mechanism to give Edgar Rice Burroughs a chance to say, I don't want to talk about clothes. I don't want to talk about uniforms. I don't want to talk about any of that stuff. Yeah, I don't Maybe want to talk about restricted corsets. Like- easiest way is to say they wore a harness that held their that held their swords and their gear. And that's it. That's it. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe that's why. But it certainly wasn't used. And it probably, I, I can see this. I'm not sure. I didn't, I didn't look it up and say, how was John Carter received back in 1912? Uh, but I could see it being something scandalous to have said, and everyone was naked, that mothers would have gone, oh, and they would have protected their fair children. And- but at the same time, the people at that point, like that was, Edgar Rice Burroughs was British, right? Like they were all, uh, I'm reasonably sure. Um, but they had, you know, the sun never sets on the British Empire, where it was just literally covered the whole world. And so they'd have like the, you know, African natives who, oh, they were naked and isn't that so scandalous? And oh, they're so, they're so cute and they're so innocent kind of thing. So I could see the same thing with Mars, except okay. in this, in this situation, they were not innocent because they were all murdery. Very warlike. They were very Ed- murdery and warlike. Edgar and- Rice Burroughs was American, born in Chicago, Illinois. Well, I can be wrong and I was. Yeah. But I think he uses all three names to give himself credibility that he wants to borrow because he is a Chicagoan. Probably. He and Harry Dresden. Um, Edgar Burroughs is just hard to say. Edgar Burroughs, Edgar Burroughs. I don't like it. It would probably be Ed Burroughs now, in Chicago. Um, there is, there is Eddie, one, Eddie Burroughs. There is one question that I have been dying to ask. Oh. Ken. Yes. Was there enough punching in this book for you? Oh, yeah. 
it was that's all that's all it was i mean and that's all it was pretty much going to be because it's stories back then and i don't know if that's quite the way but what i expect from from early pulp novels is action like that it's yeah. everything that there isn't any philosophical political uh discussion to really yeah. to really be about so everything is kind of action oriented it's even if it's if it's not you know shoot 'em up action or or a lot of punching as it were everything is this is where we are we get to get to there we have action we got to do business to get from here to there so everything is kind of action oriented back then there yeah. isn't a lot of deep discussion there isn't a lot of well and there's not a lot of detail like for example maybe if he that's the reason he got rid of the clothes so he didn't have to go into detail about those things yeah. he could just go here's the plot we're driving the plot the end interesting that you say that i did find i don't know if it's level three it's probably more of a level two um the attitudes about love in the cultures because man it drives john carter just the whole you know he loves Asia, but he has he he makes observations throughout the different cultures and the way that they approach it yeah where they have yeah. the tharks who um really are just very warlike and have no love at all except for sola and tars tarkas and um these people end up succeeding because of that and you know sola is very She's looked down upon, and then you have like the shrew Sarjoka, Sarko Sarkoja. Okay, um, I can't say it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Todd knows. Yeah, but you have like the shrew who's like, oh, those people are in love, so we need to squash that because that's not a part of society. And then you have John Carter, where his main motivation is for the love of this woman, um, to the point. Where she gets engaged to some other guy and she's like, I'm sorry, that's it. I have pledged myself, which basically means we're married, which basically means I'm so sorry because we're all about tradition here. And so that's what that is. And, he, and so John Carter's first response is, well, then I have to kill that guy. And she's like, you yep. can't. Because, because if you did. Murderer, because if you kill him, we can't yeah, get married. The murderer. Like, I can't marry the murderer of my husband. He's like, okay, well, then we'll find some. But well, I'm like, literally, that's your man. response. That is such a morally bankrupt thing where it's, it should be this lovely pure thing. And I can see, you know, again, I can see somebody, some teenage girl in 1917 reading this kind of on the slide because they're all naked. So it's so, <laughs> whoa, what? Chaperones, not okay with that. And because girls but don't read But I can read see her reading it and be like, oh my gosh, that's so romantic. He loves her so much. He just doesn't want anything to come between them. Um. Which and again, you were I'm ready just like, to just be disgusted by it. So morally bankrupt. It's so, not okay to murder someone. And also, like, I But just, you're murdering them for love. Murdering them for love. I mean, <laughs> it, it kind of turns out okay because, I mean, again, he doesn't directly murder this guy. <laughs> but he finds a way because it's like she, she decides she's going to marry this man whose name I can't remember. Sam. Sapphan. There we go. Yeah. Sapphan. Um. Like, <laughs> where she was going to marry him so that her people would be protected. Like, it's a very valid reason. It's a good, like, political alliance often works. Um, and John's like, no, 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 we're going to kill him. But to do that, I guess I should go to your people and make an alliance with these guys. And then we should go and then we destroy, you know. So he finds a way to still get the girl and, like, still save this whole civilization. But I still just feel like it's really morally bankrupt to be like, okay. Basically, 
I want to save you. And the only way we can do that is to kill a lot of people. So it's not like he was trying to save a society. He was just like, no, I want this chick. Yeah, but it's, she's my chick. She's the hottest thing ever. But it's Mars. But yeah. it's Mars. But it's Mars. And he's a fighting man from Virginia. And went on Mars. So he was the, the Martian. Went too. on Mars. So, so I, I, and I, I finally had to come to that situation where I'm just like, ugh, he's on Mars, and that's how they are. But it's. <laughs> I had my huge question for Ken. Was there enough? Was there enough punching in yes. this? Oh. I have my huge question for you, Megan. Oh no! How did you feel about the wedding ceremony and the chains and the padlocks? <laughs> I was just so happy that it wasn't just the woman being chained up. <laughs> like. They're literally being chained together. And I was like, okay, so the guy's in chains. Do- like, that's just not flattering on any level. <laughs> but, and again, they're all still naked. Like, it's just all very strange. It could have been a lot worse than it was. I have to tell you, when I read that, or when, when, I, when they got to that part again, because I'd been through it before. So I remember certain yeah. pieces and other pieces you kind of gloss over. <laughs> I'm listening to it in the car and we get to that spot and my daughter is riding in the car with me and I looked at her and I said, Megan is going to be so offended by this part. (laughs) So, (laughs) I mean, the symbolism was kind of fantastic in that scene and like the mental image of him coming in and like destroying the chains, literally like there, there's, there's no subtlety there. No, no, but there didn't need to be again. I'm I'm okay. I said there were no tears in this book. <gasps> there were no tears, but there was a moment where I went, wait a minute, I don't remember this part. <laughs> and it was it was I kept trying to remember how it was that Deja Thoris had committed herself. And then I and then we get to the part where she says, Oh no, this is all for my people. This is all for my people. Yeah. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, you know, a modern a modern take on this would have come across very different in that scene as well. Mm-hmm. This book very much is a book of its time. Would you say as long as you can keep that in mind, it's not so bad? Yeah, I would. Okay. Well, and clearly it it has aged well because it's still in circulation. Yeah. And people still keep reading. And there's always a new generation of Edgar Rice Burroughs fans, of John Carter fans who have just discovered it in yeah. you know the last little bit. They to haven't... the point that they made a movie less than 10 years ago. Yeah. They did. And that was not as bad as I expected. Oh. No, it wasn't as bad as I was uh, for and for those that don't know um I I mean I would say, you know, go check out the movie if you enjoyed the book, but don't yeah. expect the book to be anything don't expect the two to be an awful lot similar. I was actually surprised at how much they paralleled each other. It did not a lot. I mean, it wasn't but I yeah, I've had 10 years almost of expectations, you know, yeah. trod upon before I, I saw it. It's, oh, it's awful. Oh, it's nothing like the book. Oh, it's blah, blah, blah. And then I went and saw it. I'm like, well, that's like the book. Well, that these are this is in the book. Well, that's in the book. I mean, it's different a little bit, but it's yeah. in there. And Adaptations are honestly, never going to be bad. exactly what we want them to be. Yeah. And when there's when there's so much um, when there's so much buildup <laughs> and so much hype that surrounds any kind of a project. You always mm-hmm. find that there's going to be people who are going to walk away from it saying terribly disappointed because it wasn't even close to what I was expecting. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. Your expect, you know, like uh, un- all unhappiness comes from unmet expectations. Uh, hope that works for you the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, that was the vehicle that was supposed to, that was supposed to drive Taylor kitchen to action hero stardom. And what has he done since? 
You know, and it's too bad because I actually think he did a pretty, Taylor Kitsch is not a bad actor. He did a be, pretty no. decent job. I, yeah. I, I, like I said, I enjoyed the film, but then I liked Buckaroo Banzai and his adventures across the eighth dimension. Who didn't? So there you go. Um, were there any scenes? We're we're kind of coming to the end of what our time is. Were there any scenes that you remember that you say to yourself, "I really that one I really enjoyed." Okay, Megan is saying nothing there. <laughs> I need to think. You can't just throw things at me and expect me just to know. I can't, I can't think of anything that stuck out in particular other than I I thought it was hilarious every time they would say sack for jump. jump. The word, the Martian, the Barsoomian word for jump is sack. And I would just laugh every time because I'm 12. You know? <laughs> I know. But inside every man is a 12 year old boy. Yeah, that never yeah. really grew up. Yeah. Um, uh, but so that was that was funny. But there were two lines that made me laugh because even though this was kind of popcorn literature, he still got a couple of jabs in there. One, uh, the line in one respect at least, the Martians are a happy people. They have no lawyers. Yeah, I remember <laughs> that. I remember that. And then later, they did no work themselves, being government officials. So, <laughs> he still he still got a couple of jabs in there. It which very were great, but very obvious that it was uh, a little different time, but yeah. a lot of the same problems. Yep, some problems okay. never go away. Megan, how about you? I think for me, I think one of my favorite scenes was that uh, when Sola tells John Carter about her parents and kind of gives him some background information where she says, you know, I had my mother. My mother um, was very different from everybody else where she learned to love and she um, she told this warrior about it and was very prepared for the warrior to like strike her down. And it turned out the warrior felt the same way mm -hmm. and i just sat there and i was like oh my gosh how I, I feel like people just don't realize what a miracle love is when you have two people that care about each other at the same time and for this woman to have been so very vulnerable and knowing that she might die because she's being vulnerable and then to have that be rewarded like i i really appreciated that like i just really enjoyed the whole story with the parents and i i had kind of this moment where i'm like but arranged marriages are fine. Like they work all the time. People do that all the time, except their society was not like that. It wasn't, a, you know, it was like one man and a whole bunch of women who like worked under him that he didn't really appreciate. And so to have this one woman who, you know, she ended up dying for her sacrifice, but she, you know, Tars, Tarkas never betrayed her. Um, she ended up dying, but like she didn't betray him. Um, so nobody knew that he was the father except for Sola. And, you know, later, like, he gets to claim her as his daughter. I I thought that was really cool, especially since I really felt like Sola was such a doormat for so much of it. Yeah. But you kind of understand why and how she's like, no, I was a product of love. And I still kind of, like, I realize that this is my society. Um, and that's probably not going to happen for me. And then she meets Deja Thoris, who when John Carter says, okay, Deja, I'm, we're gonna escape. We're gonna get out of here because this is looking bad for us. And Deja's like, Sola, you have to come with us. Yeah, Please come with us because you are not going to be loved and cherished here. And you can come with us and live in a place of joy and happiness and light somewhere where you're appreciated. And I was like, thank you. Yes, that's what she deserves. That is what she needs. Thank you. That was like my favorite thing about Deja. I was like, Thank you for giving Deja Thoris just a little bit of a personality. Thank you for giving us a little bit of a window into the person she is. 
you know, to contrast that with the scene where they're in mortal danger and they're trying to flee the bad guys and John Carter's like, here, get on the, you know, the thought and get out of here. And she's, he's, she's like, but I love you. And he's like, well, I love you. And she's like, then I'm going to stay with you. And they kiss. <laughs> and he's like, no, I'm going to put you back on this because you picked the absolute worst moment to declare yourself. Get out of here. Go be safe. I want to see a one-woman dramatic reading of Princess of Mars by Megan. I, I'll tell you what I'd like I to... I would pay money. I would pay Patreon money now, for that. you enjoy that whole... Now that I, little I, dr- dramatic reading? I will say scene. this. There has been... Uh, in, the, in the world of the comic books, Ultimate Comics, or Dynamite Comics, one of them, has produced an entire Dejah Thoris Warlord of Mars series. Ooh, she becomes a warlord? She becomes the warlord. And yeah. actually, John Carter uh, is is eventually referred to as the Warlord of Mars. Okay. And that's where that comes from. But there, this this whole Dejah Thoris series, very different, very modern, uh, very 21st century kind of a woman. Okay. Um, I, I would imagine if ever you were looking for a graphic novel to read and have some fun to see if there, if, if this... Uh, if this group of people could be redeemed by by giving them a more modern slant, you might you might get a kick out of that. All right. And I do want to mention you mentioned uh, I said at the beginning there might have been close to one tier. It was during the time that Sola was telling her story, story to John Carter. Oh, yeah. because the this idea uh, and part of it was and and this is the, also the the level three moment that I saw. I mean, friendship. Okay. Yeah, great. Friendship is, you know, and, and that's a that's a piece that's woven through most of the most of the books that we read. Um, but in this particular book, it was it was the question of trust. Whom do you trust? Here are yeah. all of these people around Sola that are her people. Yeah. And she trusts none of them because yeah. she knows that she is different. Here is John Carter. This strange being from another planet who doesn't look like he fits in at all, mm-hmm. who is kind of the butt of every joke that goes around, but he can still knock people over and kill people with a single punch. I mean, all of these things that make him absolutely not like her. And yet she instinctively knows that she can trust him. Yeah. And that that trust between the two of them is what finally winds up being able to unite the Tharks. It's what finally allows John Carter to be able to set the stage, to be able to win back his lady love. Mm -hmm. Um, All of those kinds of pieces happen because one person trusts one other person with a secret and they are both loyal to it. Yeah. They both have fidelity to it and they share it. And, And she tells John Carter, you can do whatever you want to with this. I trust you with it and that you will treat this with respect. Yeah. She even tells him who her father is. Like, yep. Yeah. Literally nobody else knows. And all of a sudden, John Carter says, rather than saying, like in some of the books that we might read now, where he says, and now I have a piece of information and I can use this information. Mm-hmm. And I plan to use this information to make sure that all the things that I want to have happen, happen in the way. No, he holds on to it. And then he says to Tars, Tars, you need to know. Yeah. Yeah. If there was a place where I was close to shedding a single tear in this book, it was there. All right. And it was beautiful. All right. Uh, are there any, uh, are, are there any things in this book that you really, really, really think um, didn't age well or would make you say, this is not a book for this kind of person because they're just not going to enjoy it. Yes. Please. I, I'm interested to hear what Megan has to going say. Going back this. to my list of reasons I hate John Carter. 
It's that's a long list. <laughs> it's a really. Well, I mean, I have I have small font, example snippets of of the writing. Oh, so these are these aren't individual items. No, no, no. These are this is an item, and now it's backed up by a paragraph of text. Okay, okay. Yeah. I thought this was a page of like seventy five different things that you hate about John. <laughs> no, they're only like eleven. Reasons only 11. why I hate it. Only eleven. <laughs> One for okay. each book. Well, there we go. Um, I, I, it's the whole fact that John is like, he's happy enough to have women taking care of him, but he doesn't really want anything to do with them in the Tark society. Where he realizes, you know, he he raises he rises to a certain level of prominence, Very and quickly. so he needs to have a household. And they're like, okay, so you're gonna have to have people take care of you. It's like, no, I don't need that. But these women are like, no, but we're going to take care of you. He's like, ah, no, but we are going to. And literally it says in the text at one point thereafter, I saw a little of them, nor did I care to. It's just like, okay, so you're just going to let them. Meanwhile, he treats the animals really, really well. Like he is super good to the intel. He needs Wola to like get out of here because it's not convenient. Um, <laughs> he like he treats the animals so well, but he treats the women kind of terribly. <laughs> feel like that is not a reason why I could really recommend this book to okay. a certain subset of people who that would really bother. Okay. I'm sure we know them. Okay. You Can, do know them. Do you, do you have any people <laughs> that you feel wouldn't appreciate this book? Anybody who can't uh, register the era from which this comes. Yeah. Okay. Which I'm not going to, I'm not going to comment on society, so. Okay. Anybody who can't recognize that this book was written a hundred years ago, a yeah, product would of you its say time. Take it, would you a, say take it with a grain of salt, like enjoy that it was written a hundred years ago? Box of salt because it was written a yeah. hundred years ago and it reads like it was written a hundred years ago. Just it's a, take it's a it with thrilling that tale filter. about a dashing hero. Yeah. In but some ways, accept it with what it is. accept it with that lens, and you'll be fine. In yeah. some ways, it's not so different from Shakespeare in the way that the men and women are treated. Uh, in most of Shakespeare's in most of Shakespeare's writing, the women are treated very two dimensionally. The men are treated a little bit more, uh, a, a little bit with a little bit more grace and a little bit more opportunity to have personalities and motives and means. Um, in some ways, perhaps not so different from Charles Dickens. Charles Dickens focuses on his primary character, fleshes that primary character out quite well, yeah. and some of the supporting characters, male or female. I mean, we haven't talked at all about Cantos Can. But, uh, we, you yeah. know, he, like he shows him. up, he's, he's kind of the, he's kind of the Robin to John Carter's Batman. You know, he shows mm -hmm. up and he's like, oh, you're in trouble again. I have to save you from yourself again. <laughs> yes, John Carter. And I'm so glad you can, because I will do whatever you need. Oh, but yeah. I'm probably going to screw it up again. Uh, oh, I'm in prison. Thanks for coming to rescue me. Sorry. I didn't do what you needed me to. This time I will for sure. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. Shoot. I blew it again. Every, every Don Quixote needs a Sancho Panza. <laughs> Not think about that. Uh, also, so true. Yeah. also true. Also true. So, uh, so uh, yet another trope uh, that has cultivated over the years and and continues to be reinforced on several levels. Yep. We talked originally about similarities between superheroes and John Carter. Okay. Um, I'm wondering if there are any of the what we would what we would now call science fiction tropes that you found in this book that you said, oh yeah. I'm 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 recognizing now that this is the beginning point. I talked a little bit about the the zeta beams and the transference, um, I, the the idea of moving from one phase of existence or one plane of existence to another is one that has been used by several other authors. Piers Anthony has used it. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, guy who wrote uh, White Gold Wielder, 
uh, I can't remember who it was. I apologize. I'm sure somebody's screaming it out right now in their car while they're riding. Thank you, that well, person. Um, I yeah, don't know. send it back on Discord and we'll, we'll, we'll take care Brandon of it. Brandon uses it. I mean, he's got the three realms. Yeah. yeah. So so that's a that's a trope that starts kind of with John Carter. Uh, and, you know, I'm not sure that Edgar Rice Burroughs is getting a nickel for every, well, Edgar Rice Burroughs is dead. Uh, <laughs> the estate I, of Edgar Rice But I'm Burroughs. not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure he's getting a nickel every time that trope is used. But I think he's doing all right. Though. It certainly is one that is telegraphed. Yeah. That has been used over and over again since then. Yeah. Any others that you guys noticed that you would say, uh, you know, we've, we've kind of danced around a few of them. Well, he's, he's often used, uh, like we said earlier, uh, it, it's hinted, but not necessarily confirmed that John Carter might be immortal. Like, like the Highlander, you know, the Highlander type people. Well, the Highlander. I love that movie. You know, I did too. The series of movies is great, great. You know, it was a great punch in film. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that, that shaped me <laughs> as a kid. I Boy, do I believe there that. There can be Ken. only one. I love, <laughs> I love that movie. I mean, as Ricky Bobby said, greatest movie ever made. <laughs> so the fact that you use Highlander and Ricky Bobby, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm all aboard. But the idea of the immortal. A protagonist so that you can create a series of books that don't age that where you know you can just keep creating books and you don't have to worry about aging out your protagonist i mean even uh well pierce anthony we go back to the xanth series and pierce anthony his characters age as the books progress which i love by the way that because you get a whole series of new protagonists as you go along to fill in just like life you know it's like yeah. hey i'm reading the progression of life it's great or uh didn't uh, Sherlock Holmes age as he went a little bit. Yeah. I, a little bit. And on the other hand, you get James Bond who they just keep replacing actors, but it's the same James Bond every time, which I always liked the theory that the James Bond was the persona, not the, anyway, it's, a, it's the name. Like it's not yeah, the it's person, the name, not the person, but anyway, so, so I, and that's a, that's one. Okay. Yeah. Megan, how about you? I can't think of any off the top of my head. Okay. Specifically from Edgar Rice Burroughs. Well, and I don't know if anybody else used flight before him. I mean, being that it was, yeah, like I, I said, barely a decade since I, I don't know the discovery um, of flight. So I think that there's, you know, I I think if we dug deeper, we could probably find a few, maybe. But yeah, uh, I haven't really read any H.G. Wells, or it's well, been a while since I've read Jules Verne. Yeah, and they had flying machines even before the advent of flight. So yeah, uh, the the interesting thing is Edgar Rice Burroughs, as as well known as he is sometimes for John Carter, mm -hmm. is also very well known for another adventure oh, yeah. series tarzan tarzan yeah and the the difference between the two uh while there while there are some differences between the two there are some obvious similarities we have a man of uh, of a particular civilization that finds himself in a civilization that he doesn't understand that he's not part of and that he has to try to fit into mm -hmm. uh both of those series very much are are products of their time but they are things that have given us jumping off points for things in our time that continue to give us inspiration. I really loved these books. I'm glad. I'm glad that you guys were willing to read them with me. <laughs> I'm so glad that you didn't hate them completely. I, there were so many, there were many good things about this book. But I've also. I, that I recognize better looking back on them than but, while I was reading them. But I do want to know, <laughs> I want you to know. There were a lot of times that I said, oh boy, Megan's really going to beat me up for this one. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for being a good sport and reading this book. You're you welcome for waiting until after 
after we finish video recording so that you still look pretty. <laughs> what? You need to go watch the movie because I want to hear what you have to think about it. Okay. Yeah, that might be fun. All right. Hey, and in the meantime, I know that we're going to be exploring other things. I don't know that we're going to be exploring any more John Carter, but uh, stay tuned and we'll see where we go from there.